The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. And it was a busy week that was for this here podcaster. Boy, did we keep ourselves quite active the last few days since we last had a chance to chat I mean, first off, I am fresh off my post Eurovision glow. All right. I I hope you all had as much fun as I had checking out the Eurovision song contest over the weekend. What a treat. What a thrill. Amazing production. Start to finish. Just the best three hours you're going to find on television. If you are, you know, on the on the west side of the Atlantic, like me, a, a fellow Yank, and you have not had the chance to enjoy the spectacle the wonder, the amazing event that is the Eurovision Song Contest. Make sure, mark your calendars now to check it out next year, next May. It is a fantastic contest. All of the countries of Europe competing against each other for song supremacy. And congratulations this year to Ukraine and the Kalush Orchestra for taking home first prize. Look at them. So, so happy. Uh, it was a magnificent song. Uh, Stefania was awesome. It's still stuck in my head, as are many of these Eurovision songs. UK was fantastic. Congratulations to Sam Ryder of the UK for finishing in second this year, which is great because, uh, first of all, we're happy for our friend um, uh, from our, our guest that we had on uh, from Scotland, uh, Ross Barber-Smith, who uh, is just pretty thrilled that UK came in second. The year before, they had zero points. They came in dead last in the final. So this is very nice to see them uh, come all the way up to second place. And uh, there were so many great songs. Just uh, top to bottom, fantastic. My favorite country every year are the Scandinavian ones. So I love that Iceland was great. Love that Sweden was great. I mean, Finland, give a wolf a banana. Oh, really, really great. That was our, our co-host Zach Sloan's favorite song, and it was definitely worth the price of admission. Let me bring in our co-host, producer Lauren. Hey, Lauren, how's it going? Hey, Ryan, how you doing? How did you not take part in this Eurovision spectacle? Eurovision Song Contest has your name written all over it. <laughs> the pageantry, the silly costumes, the campiness. You would have enjoyed the crap out of this. Oh, yeah, I... Uh... I still, I'm like almost mad at myself for not having watched it. But, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when a pandemic happened, I turned off the television and kind of haven't turned it back on. Um, I'm working really hard at getting back into the what's going on in the world game. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like I will really, really enjoy it. So maybe I have to like binge watch the whole thing. Like now that this season's done, I'm going to go back and watch it from the beginning. Well, I mean, yeah, there are the semifinal events, you know, even like huge Eurovision fans like me don't watch until the grand final, but it's amazing. Like the grand final, it's it's like a three hour broadcast, commercial free, song oh, yeah. after song after song. Twenty, there was twenty five countries 
and it's just all the songs back to back. And then they had this super dramatic voting thing at the end. It is, it is great television. Just what does it dazzling. air on? Who, who uh, does that? So it's it airs in Europe on all the various like national TV stations in Europe, but we have it here in the United States on the Peacock streaming service. Peacock. Which is nice because up until recently, there was no way to watch it. We had to like bootleg VPNs here in the States to enjoy Eurovision, but now we can finally watch it legally, which is Do nice. Do we not compete? Oh, I guess we're not in Europe. No, it is. Oh, we are, we are not allowed. We, and it's we not shouldn't. like World Vision. It's Euro. We shouldn't compete in the Eurovision <laughs> Song Contest. Like, because there's always been like a clamoring for this because they're like, oh, you let Australia in this year and they're not in Europe. And so maybe you should let America. Don't let America ruin this. Okay. I love America. I bleed I red, that. white, and blue. We would ruin Eurovision because we would take it too seriously. We're gonna like we're gonna corporatize it. No, this we is campaign Europe's the thing. heck out of it. Like yeah, instead of it being like, about the artist, it would be like we need to get the votes. Like we have like it's it's got the wolf and the banana song. We don't need America <laughs> in here. Just 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 we don't need to have everything, America. This, you, like Europe can have this. You did mention at one point that we were going to do something similar or like a la that here, or maybe the just that we should like a statewide one. We did have the, we actually, yeah, there is the American song contest that okay. I think just wrapped up. I haven't seen a single episode. I was going to say, so apparently that Don't was really well, because, popular. Cause like <laughs> part of what makes Eurovision exciting in addition to like the delightful European music is mm. these are countries going up against each other, right? It's England and it's France and it's Spain. Like, I don't care. Who cares about Delaware versus Alabama? <laughs> That's well, not moving the needle. <laughs> in all fairness, uh, state to state here could be like country to country over there. Some of the uh... at, at this point that we certainly have that level of animosity. So I'm happy about that. Eurovision yeah. was an absolute blast. And we've had other things to smile about. I should mention uh, you and I, we just finished off a, uh, a commencement ceremony that we attended for our nieces at Doral College, where I am on the faculty. My two nieces just graduated with their AA degrees while they're still in high school. They're doing the dual enrollment thing. They graduated with an associate's degree before they graduated with a high school diploma. I mean, That's that entertained right. me, but yeah. They're, they are super duper smart. And it was pretty cool getting to be up there on the podium because I'm the general counsel of that college, being up there on stage, getting to congratulate them as they got their diplomas. Commencement is in the air. All right. This is that like college kids are graduating out. It's fantastic. And we're already starting to see the trickling of uh, great commencement speakers and in that regard, I am pretty thrilled at the commencement speaker this year for my law school alma mater, NYU, who they awarded an honorary doctorate to none other than one of my favorite people in the industry, <laughs> Taylor Swift. So I'm going to put up a photo here in a second, Lauren. We're going to call this game Who Wore It Better, all right? Okay. And this is the Who Wore It Better NYU Graduation Regalia Edition. There we go. That's uh, for those of you who are just listening. We got on the left uh, a a certain strapping, handsome podcast host from circa 2012 from NYU School of Law, and on the right a a goddess among us, Taylor Swift, wearing the exact same graduation robe. I like to think I wore it pretty well, but I mean Taylor Swift is a vision in that outfit. What's it called? That extra like piece on the top. That like robes over to only the that is already the doctors get to wear it. 
That's okay. the doctoral hood. I got my doctoral hood that day, but that picture was taken before <laughs> I actually got the hood. So, oh. so I, I don't have the fancy accoutrement, but we both have our big fluffy hat with the tassels. Yeah. And you need to understand the degree of difficulty that mm-hmm. Taylor Swift is engaging in right there. I love NYU, but it is hard to look amazing in the NYU graduation regalia. It is so much purple. Like, most people look like Grimace from the McDonaldland commercials. And somehow Taylor Swift is a vision in that graduation outfit. Beautiful I could not color. be more thrilled. Yes, she, she, she pulls off purple. I could not be more thrilled to count Dr. Taylor Swift as a fellow NYU alum. Yeah. Oh, Does she get good... to get credited as an alumni as well? Like I know she gets an honorary doctorate, but does she get to say she's an alumnus? Hey, don't Is take it... this away from me, okay? She's she gets all the alum privileges. She gets right? anything she wants. You We're get gonna to say teach her the you... secret handshake. She's gonna come to the reunion. We're gonna be best friends. I did hear she went out and like partied with the other graduates. Is oh, don't tell me that. No, <laughs> I was born ten years too early. <laughs> No, no, that's oh man, that would our brother's graduation from UM. It was um, uh, Gloria Stefan. No, yeah, man, she does a lot uh, of them here. But like, I mean, come on, see, man, and and when I, when at my NYU graduation, we just had some cabinet secretary whose name I can't even remember anymore. We could have had Dr. Taylor Swift. That would have been um, awesome. She would have been like great. twelve. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> No, maybe. No, I don't know. She, she was, let's see, I was 20. She was probably like in her early 20s. And I still would have given her the honorary doctorate back then, even though she probably would have been barely old enough to finish college. But she's been great for a long time. Um, if we have some time at the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit more about Taylor Swift's graduation. But I do want to mention our guests, who I am also very excited to be chatting with. Uh, uh, first off, longtime friend of the podcast, Sherry Lynn Lee, amazing musician and producer, is going to be joining us. And she's going to be joining us with uh, Ariadne Mila. And together, they co-host the podcast, a brand new podcast, Nuances Beyond First Impressions with the Asian Diaspora. It is AAPI Heritage Month. Uh, and um, I've, I've had the privilege of checking out Sherry Lynn and Ariadne's podcast. It is fantastic. In the couple episodes I listened to, it's already got me thinking about things in the new in a new way, uh, exposing me to worlds that uh, you know I'm I'm only just recently starting to get exposed to. I had an undergraduate business degree. I didn't get nearly enough liberal arts, so I'm trying to catch up here. And this is a great podcast. And so we're going to talk to them about their perspective of being Asian American creators in the music industry. Talk about their podcast. It's gonna be a treat. Don't go anywhere. What a great show we have. I'm excited. Yes. Before we bring in those two fantastic creators, let's talk a little bit about TikTok. TikTok has been very much in the news this week. Uh, first, I want to, uh, we'll talk a little bit uh, a story uh, about a pretty interesting experience that trade uh, that uh, TikTok is talking about with respect to crediting. So, Billboard is reporting that TikTok is going to be launching a set of tools to allow creators to directly tag and credit the original creators behind viral trends on the social media platform and the mm-hmm. video platform. So the idea is that you'd use these tools and it would, uh, when you make a video and then the original credited video would then appear as a mention in your newly uploaded uh, TikTok video, which would allow vid- viewers to then click through and find the original tag video, find the original source of this TikTok trend, whether it's a dance craze or a, a funny piece of dialogue or just any sort of, 
a great piece of art that's been kind of built upon and riffed and expanded upon, which is kind of a thing that happens a lot on TikTok, you can find out who the original trendsetter was. Uh, TikTok will also be adding user prompts to encourage those uploading videos to make sure you credit those creators um, and, and their original videos that may have served as the inspiration for the work. Uh, these tools are emerging, Lauren, after years of complaints from uh, Black, Indigenous, and POC TikTok creators who state that they often have not received proper credit on the app for creating virtual dances and trends and other sounds. Last summer, Black TikTok creators staged a virtual strike on the platform to call attention to the matter. And in the announcement of the new creator tools, TikTok executive Kudzi Chikumbu wrote, quote, these features are an important step in our ongoing commitment to investing in resources and product experiences that support a culture of credit. I like that. I like which that is too. central to ensuring TikTok remains a home for creative expression. It's important to see a culture of credit take shape across the digital landscape and to support underrepresented creators in being properly credited and celebrated for their work. As, as among everything else, Lauren, this really is a measure, and I hope it kind of takes off on the platform, but it really is a measure uh, to not just credit creators, but specifically to credit uh, BIPOC creators who are often the uh, trendsetters that create a lot of these popular trends on the platform. This was a big problem where you'd get, um, you know, often a minority creator would make some great dance on TikTok. It would flood the platform and then, you know, some, you know, white starlet would do the dance on the Jimmy Fallon show and, you know, everybody would associate that person with the dance and the original creator, uh, you know, doesn't get the recognition they deserve. This was, uh, I remember an example of this with, uh, Jalela Harmon, the tick, uh, the TikTok creator. She had the renegade dance, which was, I think had like a 18 month stretch where you just could not escape that dance. It was all over the platform. Mm -hmm. And most people didn't know who the original creator was because it took off so much and so many people started doing it and building off it and doing new things with it that when most people thought of the dance, it was just like whatever Hollywood star did it on The Tonight Show and not the original creator. And it wasn't until months later that we started bringing it back to this original creator. So hopefully these crediting features are going to help with this. And I'm hoping it it gives an opportunity to newbies, as it were, because if you don't have any followers and you come up with something that is great, um, that even the successful TikTokers and everything else are looking for new content so that they have stuff to continue to use. But if you've got five followers and they go, hey, that's cool, and they've got 5,000 or 500,000 followers, um, them doing it is going to have a more significant impact uh, in the greater scheme of things. And so I think it's great to give an opportunity to uh, credit those. I like the crediting culture that's kind of coming up. I'm seeing it all over the place. I was at a, a conference with um, a guy who had built an entire world out of Legos. Like he had recreated, oh, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> We're going to say Mordor for fun of it. Um, but like he had created this entire realm. And I was like, that's really amazing. And the first thing he said to me was, I don't want to take credit for the design. Uh, somebody else had designed this. And I built it and I was like, neither here nor there, no one would have noticed, but there's a culture coming up of, I don't need nor want the credit for the person who created it. I'm happy to share in the joy 
that was created by having somebody share their creation with me. And I think that that's super, super cool. And I'm glad that TikTok is giving that opportunity. I just hope it sticks that way. Like, I hope that it actually sticks to the original and that I can't go, oh, well, I watched a video of Ryan performing it. And so I'm going to give him credit. And Ryan's like, yeah, but I did it from somebody else who did it, but I didn't credit them. Like, I I think tracking down the original may prove a little difficult, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And to be fair, like what TikTok is trying to do is is bridge a gap in their technology when it comes to crediting because certain types of trends on the app, the app is already pretty well built to credit the original user. For example, if you come up with a great piece of audio on the app, whether it's uh, a snippet of music or just a really great just turn of phrase that other people start lip syncing in their videos, you can already search by sound in TikTok. So it's pretty easy unless you know the the audio gets manipulated to you know carbon date all the way back to the original sound where you don't see it as easily done is with dances right because there's no there's no technology that allows us to like easily detect a when dance was the last time yeah who was the first person to do the you know the uh the dance that everybody's doing with the the lizzo video now um you know it's about time and it's like this whole thing and and i definitely can't do the dance or any dance <laughs> nor does anybody want to see that but that is like that like lizzo's got a dance on this platform i shouldn't even say lizzo because lizzo didn't invent it but like she's in love with like the fact that her song is taking off because of this dance why not and i think that's why that culture of credit is so important right is because there are a lot of top shelf artists out there who owe their latest number one hit to some faceless, nameless, anonymous <laughs> TikToker who made a dance craze or some kind of trend around their song and caused that song to get you know repeated a bunch of times and used throughout the platform to take it all the way to number one. And nothing is cooler for that artist when that big artist goes can go to that original creator in a video and say, hey, so-and-so, thank you so much for making this amazing dance that has you know made this song a huge hit. Let's collaborate together on something else, which is, you know, and That'd then you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah, I hope they do. You know what I mean? Just because they're crediting doesn't necessarily mean they're coming back. But I do think it's a, a cultural shift. I'm glad the technology is coming up with it. But uh, but people want to they they want to say thank you, as you're saying, they want to they don't need to steal credit. That was a, it's an old fashioned thing, hopefully. Um where people are like, I'm going to take credit for what you did. And it's it's not that way right now. I feel like people want to attribute things to those that made them. They know they're not working in a bubble. Yeah. We're all working together here, hopefully. Gen Zers are a lot more collaborative. We have a right? we have a, the, the youth shall lead on this one. Now, Good. obviously, if we can promote a culture of credit on TikTok, <laughs> as uh, as Kudzi uh, Chimbuku, uh, sorry, uh, Chikumbu noted, that would be ideal. But ultimately, getting credit is one thing. We want to make sure creators get paid, too. And so I'm always uh, always got an eye on any news involving getting creators paid on the platform because TikTok is a great platform. It's addictive, and it has helped break a lot of stars. What it still is kind of lacking in relative to some of these other platforms is a really good payment infrastructure. They had this creator fund that they've debuted last year, where they set aside a billion dollars to uh, you know, pay certain creators and things like that. 
Um, I might be mixing that billion up with uh, Facebook, but they set aside some money to pay creators no, on the platform. Right. Okay, good, good, good. Um, but like, there wasn't a lot of transparency about how how the artists get paid, what the algorithm is, who's it getting paid. And by the way, a billion dollars in a creator fund still pales in comparison to the insane amount of revenue this platform generates. So it's a start, but it's only a start. So TikTok is trying to take additional steps in the regard of paying creators. The platform recently announced that it is launching a new ad revenue share program for its creators, the first of its kind. Uh, the program will be called TikTok Pulse, and it will allow creators with at least 100,000 followers to share in ad revenue from the top 4% of videos on the platform. Participating marketers will purchase ads next to these top videos across 12 categories, including beauty and fashion, cooking, and gaming. So TikTok Pulse would be the first ad revenue share program developed on TikTok, and it would follow the platform's efforts in this uh, $1 billion creator fund. Um, it is, you know, the platform still has a long way to go. I think what we eventually need to see on TikTok is a re a true ad revenue share like we see on YouTube, where mm. any creator with a, you know, a modicum of followers or subscribers can set it up where they get ads put in front of their video and then can share the ad revenue with the platform. And we're not quite there yet with TikTok, but they're taking positive steps, right? This is this isn't going to be available to all users. It's going to be available to the, you know, the higher tier ones with at least a hundred thousand followers. But this is something where TikTok will be the first to admit they still have some some uh, steps to take. And this is a welcome development because you gotta I think start somewhere. Yeah. The best version of what TikTok can be is not just a platform for artists to promote themselves and you know get discovered which it's it's doing and there are quite a few artists who are, were discovered on that platform and have been able to achieve success outside of the platform and other forms of media but i think the final evolution of tiktok needs to be that they need to be the media platform right it's not i get i get famous at tiktok and then i make money somewhere else like tiktok needs to be the place <laughs> where you get famous and then can also make a living and hopefully in the next couple of years, we're going to start to see that. Infrastructure That'll be the get day. You think so? <laughs> you think they're going to get to the point where it's actually a living wage? Well, none of the platforms are a living. Wage. Well, that's what I'm I saying. Mean, I was like, you know, but something is better than nothing. And being able to get yourself there while being able to bring in a little bit's great. If they could ever get to a place of making a uh, a living there, that seems like a whole other world. I mean, it'd be great, but I mean, it, it needs to, like and for the sake of fairness and doing right by artists, it needs to happen because for an increasingly large segment of creators, mm -hmm. TikTok is their sole platform. It is, it is to what older creators are, you know, for Hollywood. Like if, if you're of a certain age, like, and you take the bus out to LA to become a movie star, <laughs> this is that for young people. Like this is their mm -hmm. Hollywood is TikTok. And so this needs to be the place where they can make money and they can, find their success and so that that involves creating a platform where there's reasonably decent monetization happening and certainly tiktok is, is has the has the revenue for it and they're continuing to grow and so i i'd like to see where this develops and tiktok's certainly making the investment in saying that we're not just a platform where you can watch videos we are legitimately developing artists right they developed sound on a whole basically record label and distribution mm -hmm. service for artists to upload their music onto. So you can't say as TikTok, 
we're going to build a record label. So we're going to develop artists and then not eventually build the infrastructure for those artists that they develop to actually make money. Yeah, I, I am seeing it in small pieces, which I guess is all you can see because you've got to take baby steps to get there. Um, but again, they are, they're creating all of the content that they're making all of their money off of. And uh, they're not employees. They're all self-employed. Uh, but I don't see the credit going, not credit, the financials. You're making a butt ton of money off of the creations of these creators. And and maybe I'm just super naive, but like it seems ridiculously more complicated to figure out how to uh, pay the people that are making your content than it should. Like they're like, we we're working really, really hard to get you this step. And all I can think is like it, is it really that difficult? I mean, maybe I'm super naive when it comes to the tech part of it, but you know, there are so many platforms out there that like you're saying, pay per play and all kinds of things that could be dividing things up. And I don't know. I just want like an artist co-op platform where there isn't some big oh now now <laughs> now now you're speaking my, my web three language decentralized autonomous organizations i, I mean Seriously. i'm with you on that like and we've talked about creator that on the show coin. before we're gonna make our own uh crypto it's gonna be the creator coin and um everybody on our platform is gonna get paid in creator coins pretty bold to and... still be advocating for crypto right now <laughs> I, i'm not talking about the big brands i'm talking about making our own I mean, I like the idea of creator developed platforms and, you know, the next, whatever the next TikTok is, allowing artists to, you know, build equity in it by being an early adopter. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you get a certain number of subscribers, you actually get shares in the platform and get all web three about it. That would be cool to see because yeah. I think artists, you know, need to be in a position where they're owning capital and not just owning their labor. And I think that the platform should be scared, as it were, because this world is new, right? And this world is being created by the people in the technology realm, right? They had the science and the specifics behind things to build these platforms. But what's happening now is the creators are getting experience, so much experience. And so in the coming years, these people who are like, I don't know what a platform is. I just know how to perform. And then they perform and now they're learning what a platform is. The next generation is going to go, well, I don't need your platform. I know how these platforms work. I've been using it for the last two decades and they're going to create their own platform. So it's like they're doing a lot of things right now. The TikToks and the YouTubes and the, uh, you know, Instagrams, everything are like, we're important. We're going to pay you. We're going to be good. And I'm like, you better hurry because <laughs> they're gaining the experience. They're going to come up right behind you. And when the artist revolution comes, I hope they need lawyers. <laughs> we're gonna, we are going to take the quickest of breaks and be joined by Sherry Lynn Lee and Ariadne Mila. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. 
Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Thanks for checking us out on all of the platforms where you might be checking us out, including Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Speaking of Slam Radio, let me give a quick shout out to the Slam Radio faculty director's son, Anthony Millian, who also graduated from Doral College uh, this week. So, uh, you know, the Slam Radio family, good things happening to them, and we are happy to have a home on that particular network. Also happy to be joined by our guests this week. They are the host of the new podcast, Nuances Beyond First Impressions with the Asian Diaspora. Our guest program offers thought-provoking conversations that chronicles the common threads throughout Asian communities, while also highlighting the important differences among those communities. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting Instagram.com slash nuancespod. We are happy to welcome Sherry Lynn Lee and Ariadne Mila on to Break the Business. Hello to you both. Oh, Sherry Lynn, are I they do not muted. have audio on you. Do we have either of you, Ariadne, Sherry Lynn? I hear neither of them. <laughs> oh, that's a good start. Well, um, while we are hopefully getting their audio set up, I can tell you that uh, we're we're really excited to have them both on the program. Uh, this is a I had the pleasure of checking out nuances over the weekend. I had a I, I checked out a couple of the episodes there. It was really, really terrific stuff getting to hear uh, from their guests. Uh, one of the get. Oh, did we? Testing. Oh, I'm hearing snaps. I got I'm, snaps on. Sherry I'm hearing Lynn. the beginnings of Welcome. audio. Are you guys there? Yes, apparently it's not working with the audio interface, so I just have to use the computer mic. So, uh, you may also look into, and that's what I was about to say to uh, Ariadne, is to check your settings and then check the audio that you have selected. Okay, is that better? Yes, yes! it is! We Yay! did it! <laughs> Outstanding! Welcome, ladies! Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank you for having us. Lest anyone not think that our program is live. Uh, <laughs> I was just telling the viewers and listeners how much I've enjoyed checking out uh, your podcast nuances. And with May being Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, I'm thrilled to have you both on the program to talk about the great conversations happening on this podcast. Now, you two were songwriting partners before you started this podcast. I'll ask you, Sherry Lynn, what inspired you guys to become co-hosts together? 
Well, actually, it was very um, spontaneous, let's put it that way. We had written the song together and May was coming up, so I said, hey, do you want to think about ways we could market this song and maybe do like snippets of us, you know, talking about the song or um, just, you know, the production and talking a little bit about the background, what, what experiences inspired the song. And then the more we talked about it, the more we had ideas on what we should talk about during May. And finally, we're like, maybe this should be a podcast. <laughs> and that the podcast was born in a marketing meeting. <laughs> oh, as it it's should a, be. <laughs> it's a delight of a podcast. And the other thing that's nice about it is because the two folks who are on this program, Lauren, are professional producers and songwriters. It's also impeccably edited, which is not something you see in new podcasts. Just clean, beautiful edits. It's like they've been doing this for 20 years. Just absolutely magical. Let me let me ask uh, so Ariadne not here. Recording live is what you're saying. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike this, uh, this, uh, you know, car fire uh, of this program. Yeah, it's it's it is pre-recorded and just impeccably edited. Uh, Ariadne, I was blown away by the recent episode of your show where you interviewed Vietnamese-American pop artist Tony, who happens to be non-binary. Your conversation with them was a really interesting exploration of intersectionality within segments of Asian-American culture that were also coupled with the stereotypes that Asian-American musicians frequently confront as they're putting their art out into the world, there were so many layers to peel back and what, uh, what was a really tremendous interview. Uh, what part of that interview was most thought provoking for you? There were so many gems. Um, Tony's interview, that was one of my, I mean, I love all of the interviews that we've had so far, but um, our conversation with them was one of my favorites. I think just so much of what they had said about their experiences growing up, being asked certain questions, having certain assumptions made about you, and when you enter spaces, having to overcome these assumptions, they really resonated with me. And I think what was especially relatable was we're both Southeast Asian. And so within the Asian community and within the Asian diaspora, there's there's certain communities that tend to get marginalized even more in an already marginalized community. And that includes Southeast Asians, um, South Asians. And so I think that shared experience of like, how do you navigate being seen even just within a community that you're lumped into under this giant umbrella? Like, how do you navigate not getting your story erased and navigate these assumptions that are made about you even within this community. So there were so many gems from Tony's interview. Um, I, I can't pick a favorite, but I think there was so much that resonated with me from their experience because of our shared experience of being Southeast Asian. Their story was powerful and it was one of overcoming a lot of just internal family and external conflict. They talked about the notion of having to just explain to their family that they wanted to go into music and engage in that life, even though that was something that was unheard of among their family. And then alongside of that, having to battle external conflict because this is an Asian artist that wants to do pop music and traditional indie pop and is not doing K-pop or J-pop or anything like that. And having to fight those stereotypes and make the music they want to make and uh, so it was, it was just powerful to listen to Tony battle all those different kinds of conflict. What do you think of that, Sherry Lynn? 
Absolutely. And Ariadne and I have faced the exact same stereotypes everywhere we go. So, you know, that's something that we all were like, yes, you know, we all get it. We all have been through this. Um, but for me, what was the most powerful thing about our conversation with them was how you address that and how you bridge that gap. Because I've always been a proponent of, you know, meeting people where they are, but sometimes it can be difficult, right? It can be frustrating to be in those situations where you have to face those stereotypes and you have to explain where you're from and all that stuff. And sometimes you, you're so tired of it that you get defensive and you just don't want to deal with it anymore. But Tony had such great advice on how to navigate, how he, how they navigated their queerness and um, how instead of calling people out, they advised to call people in, and I thought that was such a powerful thing. That was That's such a, a cool perspective. Can, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because I was like, I, I thought that was really interesting uh, when they brought that up during the interview. Yeah. So the idea is instead of this was in the context of their pronouns, so using they them, and I made the mistake several times, <laughs> and so what they suggested is instead of calling people out and making them feel bad about it. Maybe um, you can privately message them and say, hey, I know this wasn't you know, your intention, but I go by they, them. And that would be good if you could use that in the future. Or when I made the mistake before our interview started, before we started recording, they said, oh, by the way, it's they, them. And I was like, oh, okay. You know? um, so they had good advice on how to navigate that without making it uncomfortable, or at least making it at least comfortable as possible. <laughs> And and I thought that was very powerful because I think it's based in the idea that certainly there are people in this world who are just openly hostile uh, yeah. to the to the you know trans community um, and just LB, LGBT community. But what Tony had indicated was that most people are basically good and decent and don't want to be disrespectful and don't want to hurt others and want to allow people to live their truth. And so if you if you come at them from that perspective and, and, you know, correct them in a way that, you know, allows them to save face, ultimately that helps build a bridge and yes. can, you know, and it was, a, it was an interesting perspective. And yeah. and by the way, that, you know, that's certainly not something that is a requirement, right? Like you are entitled to have people call you by your truth. And so it is an act of grace on the part of somebody like Tony Absolutely. to be willing to pull you aside rather than call you out. And, yeah. but it's a, it's a nice bridge to build. Yeah. It's beneficial to teach, but at the same time, sometimes you get really tired teaching. Yeah. So that's like, why I need to said, give this lesson. That's why they said, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a very important thing for us to have community, to, to have yeah. a safe space, to have our moment where we, you know, complain about things <laughs> to then have the energy to go back out there and have those conversations and bridge those gaps because, you know, yes, we, we don't have to do it, but at the same time, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? Exactly. <laughs> Let yeah. me come back to this uh, concept that we were talking about a little bit earlier about something that musicians in the Asian com American community frequently confront, which is, battling what we'll call musical stereotypes where when you are an Asian American performer, there is, you're walking in with people having an expectation that you're going to perform a certain kind of music. And, you know, there's not as much room for uh, experimentation and genre diversity and everything else. 
Um, and I, I, from the, what you both mentioned on the podcast, when you're interviewing Tony, it is a phenomena that you're no stranger to. Um, I know that Sherry Lynn got a chance to speak to this. Is this a, is this something that you also confront Ariadne? Yeah, it is. Um, I think just having, I, I think people don't know where to place me because I don't quite look East Asian. Like I'm, I'm a little ambiguous in that way. Um, I'm Filipino. And so I think there's people try to, you know, figure out what kind of Asian are you? And then, you know, when they can figure that out, okay, oh, do you make K-pop? Do you make this? Do you make that? Um, and I think even within like being Filipino, there's a very specific Filipino sound. They love like um, singers like Sarah Heronimo, that kind of big, belty, Celine Dion type of voice, which isn't the style of music that I do. So I think having to navigate that and I think having to overcome imposter syndrome as well, because growing up in the Filipino community and being surrounded by singers of this style, um, that made me question, like, am I good enough to be in this space? And so having to overcome that sense of like, there's room for all different types of music and all different types of voices and singers um, has been something has been big as well. It's a, it, it's a, a, a really you know powerful sentiment. And I think to the credit of this youngest generation, the ones I see on TikTok, you, I think for the first time I am, start, you know, and because of the way TikTok is built where it is kind of a free for all and, and there aren't any gatekeepers, I have seen more than ever more Asian American musicians who are able to do rock music or rap music or indie pop or everything else. Like we're, I'm seeing a, a, a level of genre diversity among the Asian American community in music with this youngest generation that I've never seen before. And I can't help but think that there's some element of, uh, you know, you walked so they could run. <laughs> That's probably happening there. Um, and so, so hopefully they're little, grateful. <laughs> little point about that is, you know, those platforms are driven by algorithms and algorithms are biased. Having mm -hmm. been in the data science world, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you try to make an algorithm as unbiased as possible, but that's not possible because people are programming those things, right? And so I think uh, what TikTok does particularly well is that it does show you diverse content if you interact mm -hmm. with diverse content. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons why I joined because I thought, you know, it was a great place to see diverse content. But the first place that I saw Asian Americans you know, doing pop music was YouTube. And, um, you know, YouTube. YouTube has been so big for the Asian American creative community. Um, so yeah, it's, it's getting better. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the other, in the previous uh, segment before the commercial break, we were talking about TikTok trends mm -hmm. and the idea that so, so many of the trends that are popular on TikTok, uh, whether it's dance crazes or just funny expressions or just slang that is uh, now become just part of our cultural lexicon often stem from, uh, you know, BIPOC creators who, uh, you know, originated those trends and then the originators get forgotten on that platform. And so now we're starting to see this culture of crediting and uh, TikTok is starting to do something about it. But it gave me similar vibes to vibes. That's another one you're hearing. That's a lot on TikTok now uh, to, to something you all talked about in your podcast about how, uh, certain segments of Asian American culture, just Asian culture that were once sort of ostracized and othered are now cool, right? Where it's anime or, or things like that, that are now part of the mainstream and it's considered, you know, cool. Whereas like there was a time where if you enjoyed that stuff, 
you, you know, you were criticized for it or you were teased for it. And, you know, so I see that's another element where I think the original creators of those things get lost as those things become mainstream. And we forget that those came from a minority culture. <clears throat> Yoga. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and right. Th- th- these things are things that and, and you know. It's this is maximum cynical, but it's probably right where these things are are mocked and they're made fun of until the Mm -hmm. predominant culture realizes that there's a way to make money off it. Exactly. And then then suddenly comes out. What's that? (laughs) It's basically until the hipster version comes out and then it's cool. (laughs) Until it's cool. Right. (laughs) Um, So. When you guys are not uh, making this really excellent podcast that I encourage everybody to check out, again, it's called Nuances Beyond First Impressions with the Asian Diaspora. You are both terrific creators in your own right. Uh, starting with Sherry Ling, could you guys uh, tell a little bit about uh, what projects you guys are up to when you're not podcasting? Yeah, absolutely. I am a songwriter, artist, producer. So most of the time when I'm not doing the podcast, I am writing, recording, producing music. I also work for a trailer music library um, on the publishing side. So I do metadata and programming stuff. Um, Yeah, right now I'm really busy with this podcast and with trying to get some music out. Uh, By the way, for the podcast, I wanted to say, Ryan, the credit for editing partly goes to you because I was so inspired by the quality of your podcast among a few others that I really like. And I was like, if I'm going to do a podcast, it has to be this quality. So thank you. Break the business. Oh, wow. <laughs> goodness. Oh. Thanks. Out of my total geek outness, though, I well, think Lauren's I gonna count have to ask the next six... question because I'm still blushing. So, well, <laughs> I've just been distracted by all the pretty guitars that our listening audience can't see, but there have got to be at least like six of them back there. I think. Yeah, most of them are George's guitars. The last, very last one on the back is mine. Um, oh, but, you're like yeah. a, a tried and true, like this is my baby kind of an artist. <laughs> like, there are different kinds of artists. Some like like their instrument and some like the diversity of instruments that they can play with. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit of both. I like diversity in terms of the kinds, but I, I, I'm pretty much a minimalist. I try not to get the gear acquisition syndrome because that can mm. get expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, and Ar- it Ariana, takes up a you... lot of space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about some of the projects you're working on outside of Nuances? Yeah, yeah. I am an artist and songwriter as well. I So I have my own music that I've released. I've released a few songs this year, got some new music coming up next uh, this, this coming year and next year. I'm always working on stuff. I've always got some things on the back burner. And I also have a project with um, a good friend of mine, Dalen Brinkley. It's called This Is Fine with an exclamation mark at the end. And it started kind of similar to how Sherry Lynn and I were collaborating every time we would get together and write, we would always end up talking about political and social issues. And so that's what that project is about. So we've touched on feminism and women's rights. We had a song about the the pitfalls of late stage capitalism. And so that's that other project that I've got going on. Um, so yeah, I'm just always creating, releasing music um, and now this podcast as well. Where and, can we find your music? You've yeah, I'm mentioned the, things you're working on, but I want to hear them. Yeah, sure. I'm on all the streaming platforms. Um, Ariadne Mella is my solo project. This is Fine is my collaboration with Dalen. And they're both of those projects are on all of the streaming platforms. 
safe to say that the this is fine title is that like the dog that's in the kitchen that's on fire meme is that what we're going for <laughs> yeah so yeah. um dalen had sent me some tight some title suggestions and we had found when we were kind of commiserating we'd be like this is fine this is fine <laughs> and so that just became our our thing and so now we even say that we say that so many times when we're talking about the state of affairs we're like you know what this is fine <laughs> so. um well so one more question about the podcast before we get to our final question i'll, I'll ask you ariadne uh, what goals are you trying to accomplish with this show long term what, what what are you trying to to add to the conversation i think we want to make this a safe space we want to make this something that's really uplifting and honest and um, give people a platform to talk about their experiences um, and it's interesting because some of the upcoming interviews that we have are with people that i've known for a while there are other creatives that i've known and we've never actually talked with each other about our experiences being asian american and so what this has become, to our surprise, has been something that's really therapeutic that I think a lot of us really needed. Um, it's just become a really safe space for us to be open and honest. And I think we also want to um, make this a space where people can feel free to ask questions. And I think what happens when it comes to learning about people's experiences outside of your own is I think some people tend to be afraid of, you know, can I ask this question? Is it insensitive if I ask this or why, you know, why are certain terms um, difficult to talk about and just questions about other people's experiences. So we wanted to make this space something where people can ask what they want um, tactfully, um, but but a safe space for people to just learn the things where it's kind of like a no question is a dumb question or no question is off limits. And uh, you guys have already started to build a fantastic community in that regard. I'm excited to see where it goes. Again, the name of the program is Nuances Beyond First Impressions with the Asian Diaspora. Uh, I encourage everybody to check it out on all the podcast platforms. Here's what I want to do. Since I got two fantastic guests here, Lauren, I think I want to get twice as many of our final questions answered. So I'm going to start with Sherry Lynn for our final question here. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Ooh, I should have known this question was coming. This is my first time here. <laughs> um, well, my advice is if you want to do something, find a way to do it. Um, there's always a way to do what you want. You just have to find creative ways to get to it. That's all. Right on. Now, Ariadne, same question. I know this this is you this is your first time on the show, so you've only had one opportunity to answer this so far. Uh, but uh, excited to hear your answer here. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? I would say practice self-compassion. Um, mm -hmm. I think that we have one of the things that I struggle with that I know so many other fellow indie creatives struggled with was we there's this feeling that you are on a timeline or you see other people in certain places of their career and you compare yourself, you deal with imposter syndrome. And I think self-compassion is huge and kind of knowing what your boundaries are, um, being able to set boundaries and knowing that it's okay to say no to things that don't, you know, light your fire, that don't energize you. Um, I think it's knowing that it's okay to be selective about the things you say yes to and the things you say no to, and that ultimately, you're the one that has to live your life. You're the one that's 
the, that's driving your career. It's all on you. You're the one that has to live with all the decisions you make. So um, practicing self-compassion and not being afraid to assert your boundaries. Excellent advice for the indie creators out there. And their lawyers should probably take that advice to heart, too. <laughs> all of us, man. <laughs> Sherry Lynn, Ariana, this has been a treat. Thank you so much for being on the program this week. Thank you so Thank much you for, so having much for having us having and us. for listening. Yep. It really means we a lot to us. It. Wow, that oh, was a blast, that. huh? Yeah, I like that, when that people say thanks for listening because you know what? That's that's like a really big thing. A lot of people like to talk, but the people who are talking really want to be heard, or they wouldn't be talking. You know, they're not just saying stuff in a bubble. So, uh, you know, whether they're making music or interviewing people or being interviewed, uh, that was such a great gesture. Just to say thank you for listening. I think more of us need to say that. Yeah. And uh, I certainly enjoyed listening to that program. It's it's going to be a part of my regular podcast uh, listening queue, which is getting like even crazier because it's like it's music podcasts, it's sports podcasts, and now it's a rich discussion of the Asian diaspora. And yes. uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm enjoying every bit of my podcast feed. Yes. Um, since Ariadne brought up the idea of, of self-empathy, I can't help but bring it back to the commencement address of Dr. <laughs> Taylor Swift. We can go ahead and bring, put her back up there. Okay. <laughs> um, because... As I was looking at her commencement address, she actually had some uh, interesting words in that regard, talking about uh, why it's okay to make mistakes. And uh, I want to read this piece of her commencement address because uh, I think all of us out there, whatever, most of the people listening and watching are creators, but even for the ones who are not, uh, it's easy to beat ourselves up when we make mistakes. But uh, take Taylor Swift's words to heart here. This is from her graduation speech. My mistakes led to the best things in my life. The times I was told no or wasn't included, wasn't chosen, didn't win, didn't make the cut. Looking back, it really feels like those moments were as important, if not more crucial, than the moments I was told yes. Not being invited to the parties and sleepovers in my hometown made me feel hopelessly lonely. But because I felt alone, I would sit in my room and write the songs that would get me a ticket somewhere else. Having label executives in Nashville tell me that only 35-year-old housewives listened to country music and there was no place for a 13-year-old on their roster made me cry in the car on the way home. But then I'd post my songs on my MySpace and yes, MySpace, and they would <laughs> message me with other teen and, and they would and uh, would message with other teenagers like me who loved country music but didn't have anyone singing from their perspective. Having journalists write in depth, oftentimes critical pieces about who they perceive me to be, made me feel like I was living in some weird simulation. But it also made me look inward to learn about who I actually am. Having the world treat my love life like a spectator sport in which I lose every single game was not a great way to date in my teens and 20s, but it taught me to protect my private life fiercely. Being publicly humiliated over and over again at a young age was excruciatingly painful, but it forced me to devalue the ridiculous notion of minute-by-minute, ever-fluctuating social relevance and likability. Getting canceled on the internet and nearly losing my career gave me excellent knowledge of all types of wine. So, you know, in every mistake, in every setback, there is a blessing. And I think Taylor would be the first one to say she would not get to the top of the mountain, which even she will agree is being a fellow NYU alum with Ryan Carella, 
unless she experienced all of that adversity along the way, unless, you know, every setback became a lesson, became an opportunity, became another way for her to achieve. And look at her now in that fantastic, fluffy, tasseled hat. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing it right back to what uh, Sherry Lynn said. You, you turn around and she go the whole time. She was just saying, I just want to be heard and listened to. Like, I'm I'm yeah. singing songs. I'm telling you things. And uh, you're you're giving your own dialogue, but you're not just listening. Like, thank she said, thank you for listening to her MySpace friends because they got her through it, man. Yeah. And th- and you know, to, to bring it back to that, think about how many Asian American pop artists right now are being told that, you know, Asian Americans don't make pop music in the same way that they once told a 13 year old Taylor Swift that 13 year olds don't make country music. No one wants to listen to country anymore. Right. Yeah. Even though the audiences are definitely out there. Like TikTok is making that clear and Taylor Swift's MySpace page made that clear for her. Like the industry is just wrong about this. Well, it's not even a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of there are so many people and so many perspectives. And if you can reach your audience, what the majority thinks is irrelevant. Like whether you get 500 million followers doesn't dictate whether you're a success. Or even whether you're a financial success, if if you're an Asian American artist and you sing hardcore rock and everyone in your community is telling you that that's not something that should be done and not something you'll listen to, you go out into the ethers, you can find yourself a community of people who think that that's awesome, listen to what you have to say, and you can be a complete and total success even though the majority of what you're hearing might not be what you want to hear. Somebody will listen. And you're so right about that piece, and it brings me back to Tony's experience that... uh that Sherry Lynn and Ariana talked about, you know, being a non-binary artist, that they needed to live their truth. And that was central to being an artist. And it's the same way for these other artists. If your truth is being an Asian American pop artist, you have to live that. And I remember like months and months ago, we had Mary Amber on the show, another fantastic independent creator. And when we asked her the final question about what piece of advice to give to the indie creators, she said, you have to make honest music artist art that is true to you because if you chase the art that you think is going to make you popular it might make you popular but then your reward is you got to make a thousand other things like that thing that you hate and now that's your life instead of getting to live your truth and that's no way to live right oh let's remember that uh as we wrap up this week and hopefully we can leave with that sentiment and make some stuff that we want to make because it fulfills us. That's right. I feel like we gave a little commencement address just now. We did. (laughs) They should bring uh, us out to talk. All right. uh, You know, I'd love an honorary doctorate. I'll take it. Um, And, you know, they should uh, definitely give one you you too, because uh, what you do producing this podcast and like getting it up there to like Sherry Lynn Lee levels of production value is basically an act of medicine. So um, you you should be a doctor at this point. Lauren, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with this week. Our thanks to Sherry Lynn Lee and Ariandi Myla for joining us as well. And thanks to all of you lovely viewers and listeners for joining us this week on Break the Business. We will see you next week.